read this morning from the fourth chapter of Hebrews. The last part of the chapter, beginning with the ninth verse, and the words are as follows in Jesus' name. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God, for he that has entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works as God did from his. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Amen. easy to sing songs, but it's hard to, to put ourselves in the place of the songwriters. Every song was written when, when the writer was in a certain condition of heart. Maybe he didn't even write it as a song, maybe he just wrote it as a poem and some, someone put it to music. We just sang that Day by day and with each passing moment, we find strength to meet our trials here. And this is what this text was speaking of. Preceding all of this, is there was much written about that rest of which he was speaking of, and that's why... There's a long text, and and I began with the ninth verse that there remaineth therefore a rest of the people of God, and and what he had just talked about was the example of the children of Israel when they had departed from Egypt. They had left the bondage of Egypt, and God had given a promise already many many years before that to Abraham, their father. He had shown them a land to which he would lead his children, a land flowing with milk and honey, and where they would be able to live in peace and rest and prosperity. And the promise was so great, and the, and the, the promise of, of uh, just a good life was so great that when he gave the law concerning the poor, when he gave Moses the laws concerning the poor, he even had to add in there, if 
there be any poor. This is what you will do for the poor, if there be any poor, for I will greatly bless them. And we had a father looking down from heaven at his big family, all his children. They were all there and toiling in Egypt under the persecution of Pharaoh and and they were crying out because of their oppression and the meanness of the Egyptian overseers that beat them and, and the hardship that they had and the sorrow that was upon the hearts of the, of the women. Rather than being able to look forward to having a little baby and rejoicing in the birth of that baby, as soon as they found out they were ex expecting, then their hearts were gripped with fear, what if it's a boy? If it's a boy, when it's born, the promise is that it will be destroyed. For Pharaoh had given a command that all the boy babies born under the Hebrew women should be killed. So even in their looking forward to having children, they went through that pregnancy with, with fear gripping their heart. And when the time of delivery came, they couldn't rejoice in it, but they, it was a time of heaviness and sorrow. These were the th kind of things that were going on, on in their hearts, and God heard their cry as they sighed in their heaviness, and He led them out and He gave them a great, a promise. And as they journeyed toward that promise, every time something came up, Every time the road looked like it would lead them over the edge of a cliff and they would all perish, then they began to murmur against Moses and against God and say, you brought us out here to die. We were better off in our affliction in Egypt. And it hurt the heart of God and it hurt Moses. And God would deliver them from each one of their afflictions. When they thought they were going to die of hunger, he sent down manna from heaven. So day by day, they had food to eat. When they thought they were going to die of thirst, he brought forth water out of the rock for them. Out of a rock that to them was just a solid stone and no source of help there flowed a stream of water that refreshed them. When their enemies were going to destroy them, God destroyed the enemies before them. When their enemies were going to curse them, God changed that curse into a blessing. And yet, the next thing that came up before their eyes, they were again murmuring and said, we are going to perish up until the day that they sent the spies into that land to see what kind of a land it was. And ten out of the twelve that came back brought a report that if we go there, we're going to perish. And only Joshua and Caleb came back not with a report of what they saw with their eyes as far as danger goes, but with a report 
of what they saw in their hearts through faith, how God would deliver those enemies into their hands. And they could be partakers and they could receive all the fruit that was in that land. <coughs> they journeyed and they toiled. And this is what was spoken of previous to this. And God did not give them a rest. And there was a sign. There was a sign whereby it was known that a rest was not provided for them because Joshua always spoke of what was to come. When they should cross that river Jordan, when they should do this, when God does this, then you will receive that land of promise. And he spoke always of tomorrow and what is ahead. But the writer to the Hebrews wants us, wanted us to understand that that rest that is provided for us was not such a rest. It was not a promise of rest because in the promise that's given to us there is no tomorrow spoken of but it is only today. Every one of us in our life, every one of us today as we sit here, we have a life of problems. Every one of us probably has a solution in our mind and an idea that if this problem could be solved, if somehow we could get through this, then life will be good again. And the problems that afflict us and come upon us are in many, many different forms. Probably the most common problem that afflicts people is money. Not having enough money. And so we feel and we try to plan and somehow scheme that how could I get more money and if I got more money then this financial bind I'm in would disappear and I would I would be able to sleep comfortably and I wouldn't have this constant nagging worry following me all the time all the time I wouldn't have to panic every time I went to the mailbox to see if there's another bill. I wouldn't have to panic every time the phone rang. If just I had some more money, my problems would be solved. And But not everyone has money problems. More do than don't. But if there isn't any money problems, well, there's other problems and but the problem with money problems is that they cause marital problems too. If there's ever a problem amongst husbands and wives, money is usually the most common root of that problem. And there's tension between them and there's competition between them because, because of the money problem. And it makes for a miserable life. It's, and it's there all the time and it's nagging and it eats at them. But sometimes there can be problems, marital problems, without money problems. 
There are other things. It's just an attitude. And if the husband and wife are have a good relationship and there's no money problems, then there's the children. Where are they? What are they doing? Who are they dating? Are they going to enter into a marriage that is just going to be and just create a miserable life for them? There are problems with with health. There, there's just no end to the problems that besiege us, and we always look for tomorrow. That if this could, if we could just get through this somehow, then we could have peace. We could, we could be. Maybe our life would be better. And if all of us, if any of us look back at our life, at the problems that we have had in the past and how we felt that if we could somehow get through those, well, things would be better. And we look at ourselves now and we have to say that we still have problems. Even though those particular problems may be gone and they have been solved, still there's still a pile of troubles. There's worries and there's cares and there's concerns and there's things that weigh us down and press us down. And we think, well, if we could only get through this, then life would be better. And it's evasive. We don't have problems because God wants us to have a miserable life here. We have problems because the devil got into our lives in the Garden of Eden and into our hearts, every one of us. And because the devil is there and because the devil comes here with us now, then things that could be going well all of a sudden go bad. We think in our mind that people suffer because the Bible says that whom God loveth, he chasteneth. And yet even though it says that he chastens them, we think that what it means is that God punishes them and we don't really think that because God loves us, He punishes us. We think that God punishes us because we're bad. Not because of His love, but because of our evil, that He punishes us. Does Scripture bear that out? Is there anything in the Bible that tells us that God punishes us because we're bad? Job was faithful and his faithfulness was so great that when Satan came to church with him and his family, God and Satan had a conversation there. And God asked the devil, he says, in all your travels, have you seen anyone as faithful as this my servant Job? And the devil says, sure, he's faithful. Look at his life. He's prosperous. He's respected. He has children. He has cattle. You've surrounded him with all these luxuries and all these pleasures and all these good things. Why shouldn't he be faithful to you? Let me take those things away and you'll see what his faithfulness is founded upon. 
God had blessed him. But God also knew Job's heart. He had given him that heart. He trusted that that faithfulness was not bounded, not grounded and founded on the blessing and the good life he had, but it was it was founded on Job's trust in his God and Creator. So God says, go ahead and take those things away. You will see that it's not for that reason that Job is faithful. And so Satan took him away. Took away his children, his cattle, his servants, everything. In one fell swoop, he was from being wealthy to being bankrupt. He lost everything he had. Was God punishing him because he was bad? No. These things fell upon him because he was good. They fell upon him because he was faithful. And Job, in the midst of that, says, God giveth, God taketh away. I didn't get these for myself. I had no power to keep them. I had no right to them, but God gave them to me. I accepted them freely and willingly when he gave them. I'll accept when he takes them away from me. They were only borrowed. And he went to church and he worshipped God. And God was able to tell the devil, Have you seen anyone as faithful as my servant Job? Sure. Yeah, he's... He's faithful, sure. He he can even be faithful even when he doesn't have anything because he still has his health. His body is still fine. He feels good. He's got the health and the ambition and to start all over again. Let me touch his flesh and you're going to see that his faithfulness is dependent on his feeling good, being healthy. God says, touch his flesh. And I think it's important for us to understand that God set a limit. He says, don't take his life. What if God hadn't set that limit? What if God hadn't set that limit on the work of the devil? Job would have lost his life not because of sin, but because of faithfulness. And so Satan touched his flesh and brought these all these afflictions upon him to the point where he Job cried out that he'd wish that the day had never been when it, is, it was said that a man child is born and he entered into this world. Oh, that that day would have never been. His suffering was so great, his affliction so great. Not only the bodily affliction, but also when his friends came there and said, yes, it's because of because you're so bad you're so evil that's why these things these things don't come upon people that are good they come upon people that are evil look at your life look at what you are look how failing you are and are you surprised that you should be suffering affliction and Job defended himself and he says no I don't believe you I, I am haven't done those things that you accuse me of. That's not 
what the what my heart has been. So he not only had the bodily affliction, but he also had the accusations and the condemnation of those around him. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Has anyone else walked down that road that when you're hurting, that there's people around that say, sure, no wonder you're hurting, look at you. You deserve to be hurting. Sometimes that's what friends turn out to be, but but these things come upon us because the devil is in this world. He has not ceased to be what he was when Job was alive. He is here today. He's here in every single one of our lives. And in every single one of our lives is going to be a continual life of problems and burdens and cares. And in the midst of this, <clears throat> it's told us that there is a rest provided for the people of God. Now these are the outward things that I'm speaking of and coupled with that is all the inward struggles that goes along with them. Can any of us just say, do we have the capacity in the midst of life to just say that, well, whatever happens, fine. We'll just accept it from God. People's lives can be going along fine. Everything is fine. In the last few years, it seems like every other week we read about some catastrophe, some major conflagration, whether it's a flood or a hurricane or, or whether it's fires or volcanoes or earthquakes or, but it sure seems that, and tornadoes, there's no end to the tornadoes that go. And these are people who are sitting there comfortable and, and their life is going good and everything is going fine. The next thing they know, their house is washed away. Maybe their children drowned. Maybe they're sitting comfortably there enjoying themselves and all of a sudden they hear a sound like a freight train and everything they own is scattered for miles. And, and these things come upon men. These are very common occurrences. There is no end to the troubles and the afflictions and the problems that beset us in this life. And in the midst of them, all of them, there is a rest provided for the people of God. And and it tells us that they have, he that is entered into his rest, he also, also hath ceased from his own works as God did from his. Let us labor therefore to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. What God would want for every one of us is that, is that we could find a rest today, not when our problems are over, but even when we're in the middle of them. How many times have we heard that scripture quoted that come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. How many of us, how often have we heard that and how many of us could sit here today and say that yes, I've, I know what that means because I have done that. If we were free here 
instead of having just a formal service if we're having a gathering here today and and I asked you people that well anybody that really can speak from experience of being able to do that go unto him that you have gone unto him when you labored and you were heavy laden that you have gone unto him and in the midst of all that all those burdens and the labors you have found and experienced the rest that he has promised he says come and learn of me for I am meek and lowly of heart take your yoke upon take my yoke upon you and learn of me how many of us would stand up and say that yes I, I have done that I know what that is I have come to Jesus I have taken his yoke upon me I have learned of him and he has given me rest in the midst of my labors he has taken my burden from me and placed it upon himself some would be able to speak of maybe certain times certain instances when you have done that but I don't think that any of us would be able to say that we have learned to do that on a regular basis that this is the way we live our life and this is the way we conduct our life that we whenever burdens and labors come to us that we that we go to him And yet, this is what he asks us to do. Why can't we or why don't we? Why do we not find rest even within ourselves? Why can't we be satisfied to be us? Why do we all want to be something else? Why do we all wait for tomorrow that maybe I'll be different than I am now? Maybe I will learn to be a Christian, talk like a Christian, walk like a Christian, act like a Christian, live like a Christian, dress like a Christian, drive a Christian car, live in a Christian house, eat Christian food, speak Christian words, read Christian books. Someday if I keep at it, maybe someday I will become a real Christian right now. I got a long, long, long way to go. Why can't we be satisfied to be what we are today? Why do we always look for tomorrow and try to be hope for what we might become or might be? There is nothing in Scripture that tells us that tomorrow will be given to us or, and there's nothing in scripture to assure us in any way that we will be able to attain those things that we want to be to have more faith and a better heart and more love and, and less anger and all the things but he only speaks of today and he says today if you hear his voice harden not your heart there is a rest. And there's a rest because tomorrow 
is not to be. There is no tomorrow with God. There is only today. There is no what you will be with God. There is only what you are. There is no where you will be, but where you are. With God, there's no promise of giving you a better heart. There's only the promise of His heart, His heart toward you. With the heart that you have, with the life that you have, with what you are, that's all we have is we have His voice and we have His voice today. We can do things in a natural way. It's easy. If we have a marital problem, they have marital counselors and we go to them. We have financial problems. Sometimes they have financial counselors and we go to them. What can I do to solve my problems? They give us advice and they try to comfort us and they... And they help out in some way. But how do we go to Jesus? Is this word true? Or is just this something that certain spiritual, deep spiritual people have sometimes throughout the ages been able to do? Somebody different than me somebody more spiritual than me, somebody who has a deeper faith than I have. If Jesus was here in the flesh, in this world, if he lived in a place and he dwelt in a house or a building and we could go there, and when we had problems, we could go there and we could sit down with Jesus and we could talk to him, as many did when he journeyed on this earth. When John was sitting with Jesus, it says of him, it says, he who leaned upon his breast. So when John sat next to Jesus, he kind of, he kind of leaned on him. He was a, John was more the huggy type. He was, he was the type that would go up and put his arm around him and, and lean on him. And if Jesus was here today, we could do the same thing. We could go to him, we could sit down with him and says, here's what I'm going through. Here's what my life is and here's what my problems are. And he would be able to put his arms around you and he might even cry with you because he knows what you feel like. It told us here that he's not untouched. And it also told us that all things, all creatures are manifest in His sight. All creatures. He sees you. He knows what you are. He knows what you're going through. He knows what you feel. All things are naked and open to Him. We can look at God in many different ways, but many times people read this, and it says, when all things are naked and open to him with whom we have to do, they say, well, you better watch out. You better watch out because he sees you. And if you're doing something wrong, he's going to see you. Well, that's true. He does see the evil that we do. He does see the sins that we commit. 
He does see the evil things that men think are hidden because of darkness or solitude. He's there. He's looking at them. He sees all the all the lusts and all the evil that's in us. You can't pick up secretly pick up a girly magazine and go hide somewhere and not have God watching you. He's reading it with you. He knows what's there. He knows what's on the pages. Not only that, he knows what's in your heart when you're doing it. He does those things. But he's not only looking at us when we're doing evil, he's also looking at us when we're hurting. Everything is naked and open to him, even the struggles and the burdens that we carry. They're naked and open to him. And in the midst of this, he has a promise of rest and he he wants us and he exhorts us to enter into his rest. Don't look at what's on the other side of the river and says, say, I can never handle it. But like Joshua and Caleb, look at what's over there and say, hey, with God on our side, we can handle anything. We can take anything. We don't have to be afraid of what's around the corner or what we have to bear. Paul said that he had learned to be content in whatsoever state he was. He was able to accept it and he was able to bear it. It'd be nice if it was such in this world that we could have that we could have people and we do look for them that we could have somebody who could come up behind the pulpit here and and just be the absolute example of faithfulness and trust and and peace and joy and and all of those things that we could look at somebody with our human eyes and say, well, I know I can do it because he did it. But God doesn't give us that. God doesn't give us people whom we can look to for our example. But he gives us Jesus and he gives us his word and he gives us his the promise that's in his word. And I, along with you, have to try and ask God to give the strength that we could trust that word, that we could lay hold of that promise and not let it go. I cannot say that I lay my burdens upon him. I can't say that I don't try to carry them myself. But I do ask God to help me. And he does. When burdens become the greatest, I don't know how it, how it is with you, but I, they, the burdens become the biggest in the darkness. When you're laying in bed and you're thinking about all these things, they, sometimes they can grow pretty big. And they, they shrink a little bit when the sun rises. It's that way in the natural way, and I think it's that way spiritually, that the more in darkness we are, the bigger the burdens are. And when the sun rises, both spiritually and naturally, the burdens sometimes <clears throat> become a lot smaller, <clears throat> and they seem to diminish. There's much more written in this chapter about, about God's Word and... I didn't expect to and there isn't time to 
get into those things maybe some other time. But his word, as we read here, is sharper than any two-edged sword. His word is what divides asunder the soul from the spirit. His word is what divides what we are as people from what we are as spiritual children of God. <coughs> Excuse me. It's His Word that separates us from Christ, from us in us, and Christ in us, the new man from the old man, that which is of the earth and earthy from that which is the Lord from heaven. His Word we need in our hearts and in our lives to divide ourselves so that we wouldn't become upset and and we wouldn't panic when we find that within us as Paul found that there is no good thing we expected there should be a good thing because we're Christians but but his word divides what is within us he, it divides between the joints and the marrow I think by joints is speaking of the bones of cells they divide the bones, the skeleton, from from the marrow that's within that bones. That's where the blood cells are all manufactured to keep the whole body surviving. Within, he, he divides between the skeleton and the marrow where everything happens. God's word separates the deep inward things from the from the visible things. We need. All of us need to become more founded in God's Word. Whenever there's a question, whenever something comes up, we need to learn to search from God's Word. There are authorities, there are books, there are things that have been said, there's things that have been written. And the problem with those things is that if somebody 150 years ago said something that was in error, and he had credentials and a, and a reputation then that error is repeated for 150 years and nobody reads in the Bible anymore. They just repeat that same error over and over again, century after century. We need to become founded in God's Word. We need every one of us to have God's Word not only here in church, but in our lives and in our hearts. If somebody came to you Somebody came knocking on your door and says, I'm hungry. Or if you look at somebody and they're gaunt and starving, would you tell that person, I think you need to eat. Next Sunday we're having a meal. Why don't you come over? Wouldn't their reaction be that well, if I'm hungry now, why are you telling me to come next Sunday to a meal? Is it, are we more concerned with giving food to that person who's hungry or are we more important to inviting them to a feast? Are we more concerned with having them become a partaker of the meal? I'll tell you what I'm driving at, is that, 
if we see somebody on the street, if we see, if we meet somebody, and we feel in our heart that they need God's Word, that they need to be converted. Why do we always tell them, why don't you come to church? Why do we always tell them that? And that's why I say, if somebody is hungry and starving, would you tell them to come eat next Sunday? We're going to have a meal. Why don't we feed them right there? Why do we tell them to come to church? Why don't we talk to them about the heart of God and about Christ right there? What if they're too timid to come to church? What if they don't feel like they're one of us and can't come here? Should they be left out? Why don't we speak to them about Jesus and about the love of God that is theirs in Christ Jesus as well as ours? Is it because we don't know how? Or is it because that has just kind of gone out of style to talk to people? Is it, what is the reason that we we don't minister each one of us one by one individually to people wherever they are and however they are. Why do we just tell them, why don't you come to church? I think that people would recognize if, if somebody came, and again I'll talk about it in a natural way, if they came to us hungry and you didn't give them anything to eat, well, they probably come to the conclusion, well, it must be that you have nothing to give me. If you can't feed me anything, it must be that you don't have anything. You don't have any food to give me. So you tell me to come to this feast next Sunday because there's going to be food there, but right here now there isn't any. We all have something we can give. It might only be a, little, a few crumbs. It might not be a feast or anything even near approaching a feast that we can give them. But there is one thing that that every one of us have. Every single one of us that is here, we have. God has done something in, a, in our lives and in our hearts. God has done a work within us individually and personally. We know what we have experienced and felt. We could at least talk to them about that. That's what Paul did. He didn't preach a big, long, beautiful sermon to Agrippa and to Felix and to Festus, but he got up and he says, this is what happened to me. And that sermon was so powerful that the king said that almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian just by speaking of his own experience of what happened in his own heart and life. I think it's hard for us to do, isn't it? especially before strangers, people that we don't know. It's hard to talk about what God has done in our, our life. But let's try to remember as much as possible that God loves that soul. That God wants to give that person, whoever and wherever they are, the same gift that he gave to us. That Christ died for that person the same way he did for us. Don't just invite them to come to church. Talk to them about but what God has done in your life. I'm saying this for my own benefit, not just for yours. I'm no better than you in, in these matters. But we all need to learn and to be encouraged to, to try to 
try to give what we have. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, bless us and keep us. Lord, make thy face to shine upon us and be gracious unto us. Lord, lift up thy countenance upon us and give us everlasting peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Lord, you have given us many things in, in this life and even this day. And the most blessed thing in the natural way that you provide us with is the, is not only the ability but the desire to serve one another and, and we know, Father, that it comes from your heart and from the heart of your son Jesus, that joy in serving. And we thank you for natural gifts. Father, may it never leave our midst, the spirit of sharing and giving and serving one another. And may it never leave our hearts that knowledge of how much you sent, how much love you had when you sent your son into this world to give and to share with us, not only the earthly things, but the things eternal. Father, we have much reason to praise your name and to thank you for all these good gifts. And, and we will do it feebly now with, with earthly and stammering tongues. But we will do it in fullness one day with a free heart. In Jesus' name, we thank you for these things. Amen. I've been uh, asked to announce that uh, Bobby Aho was married, I think it was Thursday of last week, out in North Dakota. So Bobby Aho has been married. Uh, I have a few pieces of mail that I was supposed to share with the congregation today, a thank you note from High Point, and some information uh, from the Aid Association for Lutherans that got left in my vehicle. My vehicle's out of town, so I'll do it uh, next week. There's uh, food served for everyone downstairs. In this afternoon, after the meal, we'll have a service at 2 o'clock. This monthly cleaning this month is done by the Ted Seppala and Mike Traffy families. And then Thursday, there'll be a service here at the church at 7.30 in the evening. And then next Sunday, Sunday school at 9.30, church following at 10.30, and an evening service at 7. In closing this morning, we'll sing song 278. During the singing of this song, we'll carry a fuel offering for the benefit of the church. Right. Uh, thanks, Sam. There'll be a Sunday school teachers meeting at Tuesday evening at 7.30 at Gabe and Dorothy Aho's.